I'm Jake Corley. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you by Bulwark. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 94. What's going on, Mark? 94. It's uh, Christmas time, Jake. I know, man. Happy holidays. How's everything going for you? Uh, done. I've, uh, I'm lucky enough that my wife takes care of everything. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be nice. Although, you guys, you got any good plans? No, we're not going anywhere. It's um, we've both been so busy this year that we're we're just doing a stay staycation that you know for Christmas time, staying at home. Um, yeah, so you know, looking forward to some downtime before the new year kicks off. <laughs> yeah, that'll be nice. 2017 is going to be a busy year. 2017 is going to be a great year. Great year for the oil and gas industry. I think great year for the U.S. economy as a whole. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to, to um, what January and February bring to us. Great year for the podcast. Yeah, and great year for the podcast. We got a whole bunch of stuff going on. And and for people that listen, this podcast is going to be rather short, or shorter than normal, just because there's not a lot of news going on because the whole oil the and gas industry shuts down. The world slows <laughs> down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everything is so slow this time of year. And speaking of being slow, um, we're going to be on the road. I'm not sure, quite sure if that was a good tie-in or not. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, Geo Convention, Calgary, Canada, May 15th, 19th. If you haven't got your exhibit space, go get it. Reach out to Dustin at Geo Convention. He'll give you a, the special podcast listener rate. We're going to be at um, Midcontinent Digital Oilfield Conference in January. We'll be at NAEP in February, uh, Process Safety in March, and Oil and Gas, I mean, uh, OTC in May. And we have other stuff on the, on the work. So if you'd like Jake and I to come talk to your company, if you have a, a group, an association, uh, an oil and gas organization, a sales national sales meeting, reach out to us and we'll be happy to share the details. Fantastic. Like Mark said, we don't have a whole lot of stories this week, but we do have something for you. So we'll cover what, what's uh, been going on in the news. Um, so last week we talked about the EPA kind of making a last-ditch effort to lock in legislation that kind of supports their quote-unquote environmental agendas. Uh, and this week uh, it's President Obama. So I, I've been seeing it everywhere. He's banning oil and gas drilling in most of the Arctic and Atlantic Oceans. Yeah, and, and he's he's doing this. It's outside the, the parameters of this, what is it, 1952 uh, law that was written that basically allows the presidents to regulate what goes um, on in the offshore uh, areas of, of the U.S. And they that law was written over 50 years ago, and they deliberately made the president's power broad and open-ended. Um, but what President Obama's uh, um, trying to do with this is unprecedented. I'm sure it will be challenged in court. The thing that's funny to me, though, Jake, is they're wanting to ban Arctic drilling, which basically everybody said we're not drilling in the Arctic. I mean, Shell did some test wells yeah. out there and said it's not economically feasible. And this is back when oil was still, you know, $70, $60, 70 a barrel. You know, in this new $50 to $60 world that we live in, um, I don't see any operator, you know, wanting to go in the Arctic anytime soon. Somewhere in the future they will. And I'm I'm sure by the time uh, somebody wants to actually go there, this this uh, presidential action will be uh, overthrown, be fought in court and, and kicked out. He, what's happened is, is, and I believe, is Obama's just trying to cement a bit of a legacy about climate change. And this really doesn't do any of that. Although, if you don't understand the oil and gas industry, I can easily see how people would think this would actually help the planet in some way. Yeah, and it only affects, I mean, the offshore crude production from the Arctic is less than 0.1%. Yeah. And the thing that a lot of people don't understand is our laws have no effect on the Russians or the Chinese who also want to drill in the Arctic. And I promise you, 
I promise you, Jake, you would rather have Shell or Exxon <laughs> drilling in the Arctic <laughs> than a Russian or, or a Chinese company. It's, uh, I ask people this all the time. I go, have you ever heard about an oil spill from a Chinese company or a Russian oil and gas company? And they go, no. And I go, well, that means one of two things. That either means they're better than Exxon, which you know there's no way, or they don't report it. The truth is they don't report it. They're not bound yeah. by the same moral and legal obligations that the U.S. and European operators are. So if somebody's going to drill in Arctic, you'd prefer it to be a company that will do it safely. And if there is an accident, we'll report it. Um, so this is just more political stuff we really don't need. Hey, only a month month more of this. A right? month, month more of this, yep. <laughs> so in the past few episodes, we've talked about how the uh, the new Trump administration is going to be the most oil and gas friendly administration that we've ever seen, at least in our lifetime, maybe even ever. Ever. Um, and Trump has this new border adjustment tax, which his whole uh, idea is that he wants to promote des- domestic goods and have more American businesses make their products within the states. And there's a lot of a speculation as to how this is going to affect the oil and gas industry. So what are yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is a great article, folks. You need to go to show notes um, that Jabe labors over intensely to do for you so you don't have to go try to find this and click on this article. So the interesting thing, so the, in this article, they're basically talking about how um, if, if you're a producer and you say you, you produce oil in Texas and you sell it for $52 a barrel, you could pay basically a 20% tax on it or $10.40. Whereas if you export it, you would pay zero tax. Now, if you're a buyer, like a refinery, and you buy crude at say fifty dollars a barrel and process it and process it and turn it into goods that are worth seventy bucks. If you bought that crude from overseas, then you couldn't deduct the cost, the the cost for the tax purposes. So you would pay a twenty percent on the entire seventy dollars or fourteen dollars, and even leading a profit of four bucks. Now. The thing that this article misses is if this happens, and I'm pretty sure it will happen, they're talking about the price of fuel going up because of the discrepancies in um, um, exporting um, crude versus uh, having to use it domestically. The thing that they, they miss here, though, is our most of our refineries are not set up to process our sweet crude. Um, if this thing gets passed, I suspect that a lot of refineries will retrofit to start processing sweet crude, um, in which case it will actually lower the cost because now that refiners can actually produce, um, refine the sweet crude, which right now they can't. The only problem with this is we're the one of the few countries in the world that te- from a technology point of view can um, refine the heavy crudes out there. Um, and we refine them not just in the fuels, but all the petrochemicals that run our modern lives. So that crude will still be imported from the Middle East or Canada because we're one of the few countries in the world that can actually do something with it. So it's going to be real interesting where to see where this thing goes. It's, it's, there's a bunch of moving parts here. Um, and the, the thing that's kind of interesting is, and people may not know this, but regardless of what political affiliation you have in the U.S., one of the things that everybody tries to keep uh, cheap is retail gasoline uh, for your your car and they try to do that because when the price of gasoline goes up everything goes up because transportation moves all our stuff around and then the people revolt they complain and so here you have an, a, a republican-led group looking at implementing this which may actually raise pump prices which is very much an anti-republican thing so it's, it's gonna be interesting to see where this thing goes we'll keep our eye on this for sure and they're also saying that <clears throat> by raising demand uh, for more competitive U.S. imports, it could also strengthen the dollar. So we're looking at it strengthening the dollar, but then at the same time, possibly increasing the price of the pump and, like you said, increasing the price of everything else that actually has to get transported. Um, it's, it's just interesting. Right now, it's just a lot of speculation, but it, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out. 
Well, I'll tell you what, it's um, this administration, when it goes into power, has some of the smartest business leaders in the world in it. So they will look at this from a business point of view and make the right decision. Um, I, I have total faith in that because the, the, there's no politicians in that group. It's all business leaders. So I, I'm, I'm safe that whatever they do will make business sense for, for the population of the U.S. Yeah. All right, moving on to the next one. Uh, some a group of environmentalists have launched a lawsuit against a uh, Justin Trudeau-approved pipeline uh, in Canada. <laughs> What's so silly about this is Trudeau is a is a climate change pro climate change, right? Uh, he's yeah. anti oil and gas, and so even he says, "Well, this pipeline just makes sense because if we don't um, if we don't bo- um, build this pipeline." There, that crude's going to be moved by rail, which is dangerous for the environment, and it's going to increase carbon emissions, um, and and it's you know it's expensive and it's it's not good for the Canadian people. But of course, <laughs> you have this group wanting to sue him for putting his pipeline in, and it's just I just you know I, I don't get those people. I I don't really understand. You know, from an environmental point of view, he absolutely is right. The pipeline's the safest, most environmentally friendly way to move it. And if they don't build this pipeline, if they manage to stop this, this cruise could be moved by rail, which is horrible for the environment and, and dangerous for the people. So, I, you know, Jake, I think this is another example of people that don't understand the industry trying to stick their foot in it uh, for their own, you know, private, um, you know, emotional and, and political reasons. I think and, somebody th- needs to launch like a marketing campaign aimed at educating the quote unquote environmentalists on how the industry actually works and why actually transporting this via pipeline is going to be a lot better than actually by truck. Yeah. And it's, um, I, so speaking of that, I have years and any of our listeners out there that can help me with this, I would really, really, really like this to see this data. I want to know how much money Greenpeace spends on fuel for its fleet. Right, it comes directly from the oil and gas industry. Right, I cannot. I've been trying to get this number for years, and I won't get it. I'm just curious how much money they spend for fuel, um, because you know they're very anti-oil and gas. Yet their fleet would not run. And yes, I know they have a couple of sailboats, but when their sailboats are riding around in the harbor, the sails furled up. What do you think is running them? And where do you think the sails come from? Um, so, so anyway, if somebody out there can help me get that number, I would love it. But this is just another <laughs> another example of of you know environmentalists not really understand what's going on. And and trust me, folks, I'm not anti-environmentalist. My, my degree is in wildlife management. I grew up wanting to save the world, save the planet. Um, I just know how it really works. All right, up next, uh, Russia has signed 23 energy agreements with Japan. Uh, and the interesting thing about this is the area that they're talking about is actually between uh, the very tip of Japan and the very tip of Russia. Uh, it's on this peninsula. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Um, but they actually, so they're entering energy agreements, but they're not actually not agreeing on who actually owns the islands there. They both believe that they own the islands. So this is interesting. So why should we care about this? Well, so this is Russia shifting its market. Um, they've been doing more and more uh, deals with uh, Asia Pacific to buy their 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 gas mostly, uh, LNG and and um, and and, so, and some crude. And so this is Russia capturing a piece of the market that we're actually uh, going after as well with all our LNG plants. So um, the the reason we should care about this is you're having two countries. Uh, form an alliance around energy, which always leads to uh, stability politically between the two companies. And these islands, they've been fighting over these, these islands since World War II. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so by and what they're both doing basically is they're taking, I think it's $500 million each, um, um, and they're investing in a fund uh, that there's going to be a joint fund. And this fund is what's going to be used um, to help build these facilities, the pipelines and LNG plants and, and all this sort of stuff. So you're seeing two kind of economic powerhouses of the world invest together in a way that's just going to benefit both their people. 
And the other thing that's going on with this, Jake, and, and I don't, we're not probably won't tie into it too much here, but I really believe that our current administration is going to um, normalize relations uh, with Russia, which I think needs to have happen. I think we're going to lift the sanctions. Well, when that happens, then the U.S. and Russia jointly can tap into this Asia Pacific market. You know, Exxon has, and, and all the majors have a lot of investment in Russia that some of it was stopped because of the sanctions. And it's you know it's time to allow our very smart, uh, very high-tech companies going and help the Russian people get that oil and gas out of the ground responsibly and safely and then ship it to the rest of the world like Japan. So is Russia the only country that we have sanctions with currently? Well, we have all kinds of little sanctions with all kinds of stuff. What happened with Russia is that we imposed technical sanctions on uh, on technology that can help them uh, in oil and gas recovery. And so um, they have conventional reservoirs, which they're depleting. Um, they don't they don't have the ability to bring in modern um, well stimulation technology. They're also experimenting with fracking because they have shale just like we have. But once again, they can't bring in the right equipment for that. Um, it it it's it needs that stuff needs to change, right? It, we need to go back and normalize the relations with Russia because I don't know if you if you paid attention though, but with this OPEC agreement, Russia actually championed that. Russia doesn't work with OPEC. They're competitors. We don't want Russia and OPEC to become buddies. It's better if us and Russia become buddies so that we have the might so we can help counter OPEC. So a bunch of politics going on here. Um, we're going to have to wait and see how this thing works out with this uh, with our current uh, with our new administration coming to house. But I have, I have high hopes for this. Gotcha. All right, up next is our last story. Like we said, this is a short, short episode. Uh, Brazilian engineering firm Odebrecht, and uh, which is the largest engineering firm in Brazil, and Brascom, which is the largest petrochemical producer in Brazil, uh, have been fined a record $3.5 billion in the Petrobras bribery scandal. Yeah, this is just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. I think this is the largest... Um, um, fine in u.s history right because it's the u.s um department of justice that is, is yeah. doing this and it's um it is is it's this is just horrible for the brazilian people so basically um a bunch of political people and high-ranking people in petrobus accepted bribes for years and years and years to award large contracts to uh, service companies construction companies whatever and that money which should have went back into petrobus because this the people of brazil own petrobus it's a nationalized oil company went to people's pockets and it's um it was the corruption was so bad over there that they they the Brazilian people coined this term when somebody got indicted for corruption it was called a pizza party because they would get indicted for corruption um, the lawyers would be paid off nothing would happen to the guys that were indicted and they'd go have pizza for dinner that that was the extent of their their you know being punished so that's actually changed they've uh, 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 two of their presidents and a, a lot of their top-ranking officials have already been charged. Uh, their president's actually in jail now, the former president of Brazil. Um, and and the, the Brazilian prosecutors who are working with the U.S. prosecutors are doing a real good job going after everybody. And so the reason that, that the fines were not any bigger than this is because both these companies have agreed to help. And the U.S. Department of Justice is just going to go down the road and figure out who paid who. And, and as many of them if any of that money touch U.S. soil, they're going to go after them as well. This this needs to be cleaned up. A Brazilian economy is in the, in the bucket right now. Inflation's through the roof. Unemployment's bad. All because of this, because of a few people's corruption. So is this something that's common with a lot of uh, nationalized oil companies or no? Yeah. Kind of I, I mean, I hate off. to say it. I hate to say it. But this is this. This is a different level of corruption, but this type of stuff goes on in Pemex and um, um, you know 
Ecuador and in Peru and all, it's all the Central South American companies. There's some level of this. They haven't matured yet like the U.S. and European oil and gas companies because uh, quite honestly, Jake, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, that type of corruption was in our industry as well here in the U.S. And it's, it's, all, it's been kicked out. And so I have hope that the people, like here's a good example, will actually not accept the corruption because that's one of the big problems is you go talk to people in Mexico at Pemex and they'll tell you it's corrupt, but they're okay with it. It's like, well, that's how it runs. Well, the people have to not be okay with it. Once the people aren't okay with it, then it works its way up through the authorities and the courts and eventually they, they stop this corruption. But it's also the people that are suffering. Um, you know, this goes on in the Middle East as well. So, um, you know, I, 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 in my 20 years in this industry, I've seen it get cleaned up here and in Europe and you're starting to see this get cleaned up in Brazil. Um, it's actually starting to get cleaned up in Mexico, which I would have never guessed. So, you know, I have high hopes. Is it all this going to be cleaned up in the next 10 years? No. Um, will it get cleaned up in the next 30 or 40 years? Yeah, probably, which is good. Good for everybody. Let me run you through a hypothetical. So say uh, with this new administration, say Trump came down and said, hey, we want to start a nationalized oil company here in the U.S. Is that a good idea or a terrible idea? Terrible idea. Uh, we don't need a nationalized oil company. Um, uh, our the, the U.S. and European companies are competitors, and that only helps you and me and, and you know everybody else that's listened to this podcast. <laughs> um, because they're competitors, prices stay low, um, and they innovate, and they bring in new technology. You know, um, We're getting ready to see a war for talent in the oil and gas industry, and that wouldn't happen if you had a nationalized oil company. Imagine the U.S. Post Office, Jake, running an oil and gas company, because that's what it would become. Oh, <laughs> I mean, man. it would just be pathetic. Nobody would do their jobs, because there's no reason to. There's, there's, you know, there's no incentive. So yeah, um, we don't need a nationalized oil company. <laughs> well, guys, that wraps up our stories for the week. Like we said, it is Christmas. Things are slow. So let's move on to our next section. We do have a winner. Yep, a winner is Daniel Goberg, an assistant professor at Texas A&M University. So, Daniel, congratulations. You're the winner of our Bulwark Long Sleeve two-tone base layer. The funny thing is, Jake, I had somebody write me, uh, uh, shot me a LinkedIn update, and she's hoping really, really hard to win this two-tone base layer. <laughs> so, um, like I said, it's the fashion accessory in oil and gas. If you would like to win your own two-tone base layer from Bulwark, it's really easy. You go to bulwark.com forward slash podcast. That's B-U-L-W-A-R-K.com forward slash podcast. Enter your information, and we pull one lucky winner a week. Fantastic. So let's move on to our events. Uh, I'll kick this off. So on January 12th, this is kind of another shameless plug uh, for the API YP. Uh, we're calling it the the member town hall. It's a chance for you guys to come, those who are members or those who are interested in becoming members, uh, and for us to get feedback on the direction that we actually want to take the group. Uh, we've done a lot of great industry tours. We've done a lot of professional development, great networking, um, and a few happy hours here and there. So we want to kind of figure out what's important to everyone. Uh, we want to thank Carbach for sponsoring uh, with some great beers for the for the meeting so you guys can come out and enjoy some, some beer and some food on us, uh, and let's just have a good time. Yeah, and if you're listening out there, let me tell you, when you join the API Young Professionals, you're really joining the API Houston chapter, which is the largest chapter in the world. Um, the American Petroleum Institute. So you're a member of a much bigger family. Um, if you're interested in oil and gas in any way, if you're new to the industry, go check out this event. Um, Jake and, and the rest of his peers out there are great people, um, friendly, helpful, knowledgeable, and you get to do stuff that you would never get to do. I mean, we did an offshore rig tour. Even if you work for Chevron, <laughs> you can't go do an offshore rig tour unless you're supposed to be out there. So go check it out. It's, it's well worth your time. Yeah, it was cool. I watched uh, Deepwater Horizon the other day, and it was cool because we had gone on that offshore rig tour that I was able to actually kind of 
understand it better and kind of visualize it. And it was, I mean, it's almost dangerous in a way just to like walk around. I mean, you know how like shallow the steps are and right. kind of got to watch where you're walking and stuff. And imagine having, you know, a gigantic blowout like that. So it was cool to experience that. Yeah. And our, so our next event is at the Midcontinent Digital Oilfield Conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 25th and 26th. I think all of us could be out there. I think all the podcasters could be out there recording different shows. Not quite, I don't have quite the details worked out yet, but if you uh, want to look and understand some of the new technologies taking place, especially in Upstream, go check this event out. We'll be there. Then we have on January 24th and 25th, Wellsite Automation. Once again, talking about uh, technology, it's here in Houston, Texas. And then January, also 24th, 26th, the Marcellus Utica Midstream Conference in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So uh, if you want to uh, get these events and more, the easiest thing to do is sign up for my monthly email newsletter. We literally take all the oil and gas events on the interwebs and the stuff that we get to know because we know these people personally, stick it in one newsletter, stick it in your inbox once a month, and we do it for free. And our rig count. So this week, the rig count is up 13 for a total of 637 rigs so we're trending upwards we've been consistently going up over the last few weeks so things are looking up yeah and the other thing that's happening when you speak of rig counts is, is a lot of people don't understand this but our the rigs we have in our fleet now are so much more efficient than the rigs we had in our fleet just five or ten years ago so especially on land one rig that can now move itself can do the job of four or five old rigs so the rig counts creeping up but the amount of work we're doing is like exponentially bigger so we're we're trending in the right direction it's just good stuff so we've got our first Friday Q&A uh, coming up in a few weeks. So if you guys have a question, you can go to oil and gas this week slash ask a question. Uh, or you can just go to oil and gas this week. And I think there's a button at the top where you can go and uh, click on that information. Or you can just go to the show notes. So there's a whole bunch of different ways you can find it. Yeah, it's um yeah. So we have a website now for this show. It's oilandgasthisweek.com. Very easy to find. Go there, click the button, ask us a question. We have a bunch of them coming in. We we need some more, um, and we'll be happy to answer it. It's um it's it's one of our most popular episodes, and it's actually a fun one to do because we get to dig into stuff that normally we don't get to do. Um, speaking of our website, we also have an email sign up now. So if you'd like to be notified every time that we release a new episode, Jake and I, and any of the events that we're doing and any of the blog posts that we're going out there, go sign up and we'll just email you automatically so you're updated. And then if you listen to this show, hopefully you're also listening to Oil and Gas HS&E. Jake, we had an issue and we broke our feed. You broke the feed. How'd you do we, that? Uh, it's our webmaster had to do it for some reason. So if you listen to HS&E, what happens is you have the old feed and only in iTunes, by the way, this is apply. Only in iTunes. Um, the old feed has stopped updating, and we had to start a new feed. So you need to search for uh, Red Wing HSNE podcast again and sign up for the new feed so you can continue to get the shows. So, you know, all the old shows are in one feed. We have a new feed for new shows, and that will be the feed that we'll use for, you know, moving forward. So if you listen, please go sign up for the new feed. And then, uh, if you like the show, if you like Jake and I, or if you don't like Jake and I, do us a favor, leave us a review. Um, reviews help your peers find us and also helps Jake and I in search engines and rankings. And quite honestly, Jake and I like it when we get reviews. It makes us happy. Um, <laughs> what's, what about the LinkedIn group, Jake? Uh, we, so we also got the LinkedIn group. I think we have like 15, 1,600 members. Yeah, that's great. Uh, if you want to check us out on LinkedIn and kind of become part of the community and kind of chime in on the conversation, uh, we'd love to talk with you there. Uh, I've had a whole bunch of people reach out on LinkedIn and just chat about particular things. Uh, we've had people who are looking to possibly expand API YP uh, into new cities, so that's exciting. Um, so, yeah, if you 
feel free to reach out to either one of us anytime you guys have a question with anything or you can reach out in the group uh, and get your question answered there. Yeah, if you go to LinkedIn, just search for OGGN. It pops up, Oil and Gas Global Network. It's, it's where all your peers could be. It's where all of our announcements are going to be made first because a lot of the stuff that we're doing is going to be uh, small and exclusive. So go join. Um, and then finally, if you like the show, if you like it, please, please, please share it with your friends and family. Do that all company email thing. Um, you know, um, anything you do to help us get the word out, we'd really appreciate it. And lastly, uh, we don't want to end on too much of a solemn note, but this is something that's important to uh, to both of us. We had one of our listeners reach out um, and said that it was a, a family friend of hers was a Marine, uh, and he was actually killed in action uh, last week. Uh, his name was Captain Jake Redstripe Frederick. He was 32, uh, and he was an F-18 Hornet pilot, and he was killed after ejecting from his aircraft roughly 120 miles off the coast of Japan on Thursday, December 8th. Uh, while deployed with VMFA 115. Yeah, and Jake, he leaves behind a wife and two kids, and one of the kids is on the way. So, um, you know, hats off, you know, simplify brother, may you rest in peace. Hats off to um, to our soldiers out there that protect our country. If you can, if you will, uh, Jake's put a link up in the show notes uh, for the family donation page. Your money's going to a good Good, very good cause. Uh, reach out if you can give five, ten bucks, twenty, whatever. Uh, do it. Um, it's 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 the right thing to do. It's a good thing to do. So, Jake, let's take a quick moment of silence for our for uh, for our brother um, and his family. All right, so we don't want to end this show on a totally down note. Um, um, So we just want to wish everybody, a whole oil and gas family. So if you're listening to the show, you're our family. You're our audience. We couldn't do this without you. If we didn't have you, it would be Jake and I talking ourselves, which would just be kind of bizarre. So, um, you know, Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Um, You know, stay safe. Have fun with your family. And we're looking so far to rock and roll in 2017. All right, guys. happy, Happy holidays. So, folks, do great work. Pay it for it. And we will see you next time. 